We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Hey, 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 everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Rotoviz College Football Show. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to let you guys know that we will be off next week. There will be no show, but that following week of October the 21st, you can expect us to be back at it with another episode for you to download, listen to, and enjoy. Thank you guys so much. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Rotoviz College Football Show. I am joined by Jordan Hoover and Matt Wispy. Gentlemen, it is an exciting day to talk about football. I had a little bit of snow out this morning, so like it's coming. We're we're getting through this season. The the end is nigh. What did what did you think about th- this week of games, Jordan? Well, just uh, on the other side of the spectrum. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2, excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license and men's package tees uh here in south central pennsylvania it was 84 degrees today and oh felt like goodness. it was about 200 percent humidity so 
I envy you on the uh, cooler side of the country right now. This this last weekend was was pretty exciting. We had a we had a bunch of upsets that I think we're going to get into. Uh, a major program's defensive coordinator got handed his walking papers. That's probably something else we're going to dive into a little bit. And I think that week seven this weekend coming up is, I mean, it might be the best weekend of games that we've had so far as far as quality matchups are concerned. So I'm excited to get into it. Absolutely. How about you, Matt? How are you doing today? Doing good. Uh, it was like 90 here, so I don't, I'm with Jordan. I don't get the whole snow thing. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this past week of games from the amount I got to watch. So, I'm really looking forward to this week. Yeah, it's it's going to be awesome, as it always is. And I think looking back at last week, it's interesting seeing, like, where we picked different games and why we picked them. And I just kind of wanted to get into a conversation with you fellas because we do talk about our picks against the spread quite a bit on this show. And last week, I used this example for NC State and why I was picking against them was because um, I'll just I'll just read it here. I, I said when NC State is facing teams that average 230 yards rushing a game, they are 0 and 4 against the spread, and that's one of the big reasons why I wanted to take NC State was just this track record of not being able to cover when they're going against these huge rushing powerhouses. And it scared me off. And again, I did just give the disclaimer about, you know, if Dylan's out. But still, just this idea, though, where people use historic data to pick games against the spread is is one of these issues that I don't think people talk about quite enough. Matt, what, what do you think about that whole idea of looking at, you know, a team's history and using that to predict what you think is going to happen when making your bets? I do think there's value to looking at some of these trends. Um, what I always sort of find funny is when you get that cross or when you get these non-contextual ones where they say things like, oh, just for example, Arizona is 3-0 and against the spread against USC in their last five matchups. But you forget to realize like, well, completely different team and a new coach. Uh, so there's – there's no real reason to use that number because it's it's sort of a waste. Uh, I sort of like historical ones. The ones I kind of find interesting are coaching surrounded ones. So like the big one this past week that I sort of ignored was Tom Herman as an underdog is basically a, a lock to cover the spread. And about half the time he'll take the game outright. So I think there's value to doing it with – uh, long-term coaches at a program, I do think it gets a little risky when you're just going based on the team. And so I, I like them. I typically like them more when it's coach one rather than uh, team. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with Matt. I think that with these uh, against the spread trends historically for, for college, I think that you really have to keep an, keep an eye out for context around it as far as it's it's a long list of you know players tend you know only have four years of eligibility so the roster turnover is obviously a lot greater than at, at the NFL level where you know one team might have the same quarterback for 12 years and quarterback is such a pivotal position so it's I, you know it's it's different things like that and also like Matt said with coaching not only coaching changes but then scheme changes which can affect the way a team approaches a game as far as pace on offense type of defense they play how many yards they give up so there's all these surrounding factors i think that play in so i think that if i had to 
I think if I had to give someone a recommendation, I, I, I think that it's worthwhile looking at these trends and, and adding them into your overall analysis as just one small piece of it. But blindly betting these overall trends, while it may play out short term, I don't necessarily know if that's a winning strategy. So I think there is value, but I think that it's really just a smaller piece of the larger puzzle when you're when you're breaking games down. Yeah, I think that's useful. I I always have tended to turn my nose up at that kind of thinking just because of what you guys said with the high turnover in personnel, coaching changes, all that kind of stuff. I'm always like, this is a different team. History doesn't really dictate what's going to happen in the present because of those changes. And so I, I largely have ignored it. But the more I've gotten into college football and picking and all this kind of stuff, I see that the vast majority of people, like you look at CBS or ESPN and some of the other big networks, their experts tend to use this logic of historic trends and data to make their picks. And so I was like, okay, am I way off base here or or not? And, and I tend to be uh, a little bit more skeptical of things anyway. It took about 30 years for me to finally give in to the idea that momentum is a real thing, even though it can't be quantified. I, for the longest time, refused to believe in momentum, but I, I, it, I finally came around on that one. So maybe I'll come around on this as well. But uh, yeah, I just thought it would be interesting to talk about because I've been hearing so much about it. And, and the one week I finally used some of that, that logic, it, it burned me with my NC State pick. So, <laughs> so I just wanted to see if I, uh, if I needed to change my ways completely or if, or if things were somewhat um, understood. Jordan, you mentioned the big news down in uh, Norman. Go ahead and uh, tell everyone what took place and, and what effects it might have on the, on the team as well as the future. Yeah, so uh, defensive coordinator for Oklahoma, Mike Stoops, was fired, was it yesterday, Sunday, I believe? After, you know, that Oklahoma kind of got blown up by Texas's offense in, uh, in, in the game that we saw on Saturday. And I think that this has kind of been a long time coming. What, you know, from what I've heard from people who have really watched Oklahoma really intently over the, the term that he's been there is pretty consistent, pretty consistent claim that they don't tackle very well. And I don't necessarily know that you can pin that directly on just the defensive coordinator. But if you think back in the recent history of Oklahoma, when they've had these extremely powerful offenses, they they have tended to give up probably more yardage and points than you would expect for a program that recruits pretty well. So I think that this move, and as of right now, I don't think that they've hired a replacement, but I, I do think that this change is probably going to be a positive. I don't know how much it will necessarily affect them the rest of the season. I think there will be, you know, some a, a boost probably with the, with whoever they bring in. But I think it'll be interesting to see what direction they go with because if you could pair, you know, Oklahoma's offense with some, you know, with a top 40 defense, you know, the chances of them getting to the playoff obviously increase. So, I you know, I think that he was kind of a hanger on from the from the previous years and I think that Lincoln Riley just finally decided that, you know, enough is enough and I have to make a change if we want to stay up in the elite, you know, in the top echelon of the country. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see who they decide to go with. And, and then I think that'll kind of give us a better idea of what we can expect moving forward. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was it was a needed change. I know that after the game, a lot of the the seniors on the team for Oklahoma were, were kind of thinking this whole man another year 
same problems. You know, it was it's it's been a trend for them to give up a lot of these these chunk plays and not being able to really stop the run when it matters. And that's what took place again. I was talking to a good friend of mine uh, this morning, Skylar. Shout out to you, buddy. And uh, he he's a OU alumni guy and big fan. And his thinking was, you know, hearing people talking in the Norman area is this idea that it wasn't just a tactical move, but it was almost like a political move in that they're still hoping if they can win out, they can look to this game and say, okay, yeah, the reason we didn't beat Texas is because Stoops is our defensive coordinator. He's gone now. We have this new guy in place. Our defense has been playing better. Go ahead and give us a shot over the one-loss SEC team because we've actually improved and they're just coming off a lot. So he thought there was some of that going in, which I thought was an interesting nuanced take that I wouldn't have thought of. Um, you really need a, a boomer sooner homer pick guy to uh, to come up with that kind of reasoning. But I liked it. I thought there was some uh, some intuitiveness to it once I heard it. So yeah, I thought it was interesting. Matt, what did you think about all these top 25 teams losing this weekend? I mean, on most of them, I'm not actually overwhelmingly surprised i did think like i I was on uk to get the win and even though i thought that game would be kind of close um i i'm not at all surprised by stanford they really they haven't impressed me i'm i'm low on michigan state and we'll get into that one a little bit later and then oklahoma state i mean they were fringe getting there and iowa state's a pretty decent team i i wasn't over like i guess where i'm getting at is i wasn't overwhelmingly surprised by any of these the biggest shocker for me actually was the oklahoma loss because i did think that oklahoma's offense would at least be able to score a lot (laughs) and they did but then i thought that their defense was just gonna be able to hold texas to under 30 based purely on talent and i their defense might just be awful at this point. And going back to uh, his firing, I just think Stoops coaches, in my big broad generalization, all Stoops coaches are just really overrated as actual X's and O's coaches. And they've been just so good at being a frontman ability to get players to come into them that it's kind of masked their ability to be good coaches. So that was a huge, broad, or a huge generalization. But... I mean, it was it was an exciting week, if nothing else, and that's kind of my takeaway. So yeah, it was I, good. It was good for watching. It was it was a ton of fun. I I enjoyed most of it. Uh, <laughs> I I was happy to see Stanford go down, uh, just because of my Pac-12 allegiances. I think the one that it didn't surprise me after the fact, but I wouldn't have I wouldn't have picked it given how Mississippi State has been playing lately. But I I didn't think. Auburn was going to get just shut down like that. Their offense is what we call hashtag not good right now. Mississippi State's, I, I really do still think that uh, Moorhead's a good coach. And it was, I, I was really actually, this was one of the games where I had a pretty big rooting interest because I do think he's a good coach. And I do, I, I was sort of getting disappointed by the way these past few weeks had gone for him. And it was nice to see them start to get things together kind of if I mean if you want to give them credit Nick Fitzgerald ran the ball a lot so I guess that it whatever gets them points on the board yep well let's get into some of our picks from last week uh we mentioned OU Texas a little bit already so why don't we go ahead and, and stick with that one Matt and I were split on this I I thought Texas I didn't think Texas would win outright but I thought they I thought the seven and a half points is a little bit too much I thought it'd be closer but they they went ahead and 
and won the game. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the defense. We talked mostly about about Oklahoma in this game. Uh, Jordan, what did you think about Texas specifically? If you don't mind talking about the the young quarterback, yeah, Sam Ellinger. I, I think that this is you know he hasn't really been putting up gaudy numbers necessarily through the air, and he accounted for five touchdowns. I believe three were on the ground in this game. This is his fifth straight game without an interception, which is important. You know, he's he's hovering. Looking back at his game log, he hasn't always been approaching 300 yards passing, but he's taking care of the ball. Uh, he adds a little bit on the ground, which is important. And if you pair that with a really talented wide receiver pair in Lil Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson they, plus Texas defense. How good were they? They were yeah. they were just difference makers in this game, I thought. Yeah, and and something else, uh, you know, when I when I look at the top two wide receivers on each team here in this game, Humphrey and Johnson for Texas, and C.D. Lamb and Marquise Brown for uh, Oklahoma, I don't think it's out of the question to think that all four could potentially be top three round NFL draft picks eventually. It's just a ton of talent on the field in this game at the wide receiver position, and Ellinger did. A really good job of using the weapons that were around him. He's, I, I don't know necessarily where his ceiling is. Um, I haven't really dug too far into that yet, but he kept pace. I mean, Kyler Murray is an explosive talent. We know that he's so dynamic. And, you know, it's tough to kind of like steal the spotlight from someone like that who's so electric. But Ellinger has looked really good and he's steady. And, you know, I think that's kind of what Texas has been missing over the last couple of years. They haven't really had a, a steadying influence at the quarterback position. So I, I've been impressed with with Ellinger so far. What takeaways did you have, Matt? Well, Oklahoma hurt my feelings um, <laughs> because I really did. I, I liked this team a lot. Um, and it's going to be a bummer that the one year we get of Kyler Murray, and we probably won't get to see him in the playoff. That's it's probably too early to say that, but I'm willing to say it right now. But Lil Jordan Humphrey is just like, I don't even know how to describe it. He's so impressive. Every time they threw at him, it was impressive. And he's huge. Yes. Uh, it, it seems like that's the thing that's going to separate him from people in the class surrounding him is his size is just ridiculous. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm now rooting for him to leave college this year because I, I think there's a real chance he's going to be a guy that tears up the combine and his production this year, if nothing else is, I mean, it's really impressive because you don't expect the six four two twenty wide receiver to also be averaging 15 yards per reception. So Andy was uh two for two throwing the football too. I mean, having a wide receiver that can throw the ball is always a good thing, right? <laughs> um, I agree. I was really impressed with, their offense and it just felt like they could do whatever they wanted to. Um, Oklahoma couldn't slow them down at all. I actually starting the fourth quarter, I stopped watching the down by down game and I, I switched over to a few of the other games just to see what's going on because I thought it was over. Um, and then after I think, I think Kyler had that 67 yard touchdown run or something, something close to that. And I was like, Oh, I better turn this back to see how this thing closes out. Uh, Texas almost let it slip, but they they ended up hanging on, and yeah, I think this changes the landscape. Matt, you and I were talking last week about how we couldn't wait for West Virginia, Oklahoma. Now all of a sudden, Texas is a is a legitimate threat here in the Big Twelve, and it's going to be a lot of fun seeing how this plays out over the next few weeks. 
McConaughey. That's right. That's right. He lives. He lives yeah. forever and ever. Yeah. Let's move on. I think this one uh, broke a lot of people's hearts because they were they were everyone's sweetheart. Uh, Kentucky at Texas A&M. The spread was five and a half points, and that ended up being a six point finish. I was really torn on this because I had picked Texas A&M, so I was rooting for Texas A&M, which is a str- which was a strange feeling because I my heart wanted Kentucky to win. My head wanted Texas A&M to win. And then when it went to overtime, I was like, great, now I'm, I'm going to lose the bet and Kentucky's going to end up losing. And it's going to be like a lose-lose when it wasn't going to be possible. Uh, but Texas A&M ended up getting that last touchdown in overtime to win it. And I walked away from this game uh, with a very unnuanced take, but it was simply that if Kentucky had a decent quarterback, they'd be real, real good. But I just don't think Terry Wilson can take them where they need to be to, com- to, to not to compete, because they can compete with anyone, I think. But they, I don't think they can beat the elite teams. Am I off base on that, Jordan? Or do you think that's a, a decent take? No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I, I think we've seen time and time again, I, I feel like a broken record, but talking about the the ability to throw the ball downfield and how much better that makes any offense. It, it sounds very simplistic, but it's very true. And... I think that this Kentucky offense up until this point was was centered around Benny Snell, as it probably should be. He's clearly their best player, but he only got 13 carries in this game. Um, I didn't I didn't actually watch a ton of this game live, so there may be some extenuating circumstances, but that seemed a bit curious to me. He you know he was averaging 4.6 a carry. Texas A&M defense is very good. They only got 178 total yards, so. But I, yeah, I agree with you. I think that if you really don't have the ability to throw the ball down the field, it really limits your upside on offense, plain and simple. And just touching very briefly back to Mississippi State, it, it's kind of how I feel about them. I was very high on them, but seeing Nick Fitzgerald just not really being a threat downfield at all, it really limits their ceiling for them this season. But if if you if you're not afraid of the if you're not afraid of the pass as a defense and you can gang up on Snell. Kentucky's going to have a hard time scoring. Their defense is really good, but it's going to be a struggle. Yeah, what was weird with with Wilson, he had 108 yards passing, but if you watch the game, all of well half of them, 54 came on one play, and it wasn't even a real pass. It was like the little an end around, but he like tossed it forward. So it was more of a running play anyway. So he really didn't stretch the field at all to your point. And yeah, like you said, they were able to contain Snell enough Yet they still managed to get it to overtime. It was it was just one of those one of those games that you felt like if they could have just been a little bit more two dimensional, they may they may have had a chance. Now, Matt, you you are our expert on all things when it comes to tight ends. What did you think of Texas A and M and Sternberger's performance? I mean, I, I wrote about Sternberger last week, and he is I, I mean he is a very impressive player, averaging 19 yards per reception for a uh, tight end is impressive. Now. That number's obviously skewed because he had a 46-yarder uh, in there as well. But it is, it's is—it's definitely nice seeing him get a lot of the work. And, I mean, I really did think this was a good Kentucky defense. I thought they'd be able to kind of hold Texas A&M a check. And for the most part, when uh, Mond only has 226 yards, um, I would say they did, for the most part, keep the game in check. I didn't spend. Uh, this is a game I didn't get enough a lot of time to watch because I was at uh, Shocker of the Century, another wedding. Um, but it was it was nice to see him be 
the focal point of their passing offense. And then it was also nice to see Travion Williams have a nice game as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. And both of their, both of their big plays. Well, for Sternberger's, it was kind of a, a botched play, a tip pass that he took to the house for 46 yards. And then Travion got most of his on, on one reception too, a little swing pass. So I thought Kentucky's defense did great. It was just those two plays that really ended up hurting them for the most part. I think Kentucky will be interesting go, going forward. Do you think they have a chance to, to upset any any of the big players in the SEC? Uh, I, don't, I think that they're going to have an interesting game. If they can somehow like win their next two games, they'll have Missouri in their next two games and I think Vanderbilt. So yeah. when they go up against Georgia, there's a real chance that game will kind of be for the SEC East. And I mean, Georgia's been good, but I do think that, I mean, even in this loss, I – I'm still somewhat positive about them on the defensive side of the ball. They are still a very good defensive team. The only thing I can hope for with them offensively is don't be dumb and not give Snell the ball. I mean, there's no reason he's in. It's not like the game was ever out of hand. He should have been in those middle quarters. He probably should have had 15 more carries, but I think that they need to get continue getting Snell a heavy workload. And I was, I was a big fan of Bowden uh, coming into the year. He's a guy I would like to see get the ball in space. And I mean, Terry Wilson can't throw the ball downfield, but he should be throwing bubble screens out to Lynn Bowden. Yeah. Um, I do think they're going to struggle against the big teams in the sec, but I mean, I, I'm still hopeful that they're a top 25 team at the end of this year. They should, they should be favored in five of their last six games. I'm just looking at their schedule. Like you said, after Georgia, they they go to Tennessee, home for Middle Tennessee State, and then at Louisville, that who is absolutely a train wreck. So you know that that Missouri game is tricky if if they get spread out on defense. But they're you know there's they should be favored. Would you agree in in those five games aside from Georgia? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. so I mean, there's too. a chance. There's a chance. Yeah, and I think part of the reason Snell wasn't getting a lot of work is because they were in third and long situations. I think they ended up punting the ball ten times. Uh, so they just couldn't get first downs. They couldn't generate uh, a good rhythm on offense. And I think it just, yeah, really messed with their their game plan. Um, now, a team that, that had no trouble this week was the Fighting Irish again, who this time we we both picked. So we, we changed our ways. We are now believers. We're truthers. This game got out of hand pretty quick. What did y'all, what did y'all think of, of this one? Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, Ian Book continues to be really efficient i think he he missed some downfield throws which if he can clean that up then they become even more dangerous but really not trying to take much away from him because you know the change to to book is is really what seems to have catapulted notre dame into real time you know legitimacy and i think dexter williams uh at at running back seems to be kind of taking over as the RB1 there. He had 178 yards rushing, three touchdowns, averaged 10.5 per carry. And they have a really talented uh, group of pass catchers as well, which before Book came on, uh, when it was Wimbush, I don't think they necessarily got their due because they weren't ever really able to do much. Uh, but Miles Boykin is really good. Alizé Mack is a, yeah, is, is a really good Boykin. tight end. Yeah, yeah. And, Ch- and Chase Claypool, who didn't really show up too much in this game, but he's really talented as well. And, you know, when you start to look at it at the big it, it zoom out on a big picture, they have a really talented skill group and, and their defense is good. I, you know, I wasn't really I didn't buy in right away when book came in the first game. But 
now I feel like we don't really have any other choice and we really need to consider the possibility of Notre Dame in the in the playoff. I, I think that's absolutely something we have to reckon with now. Yeah, we, we, we touched on that, I think, three weeks ago when they surprised us with a with a, yet another win and we we're like is this for real and i think the, the what's in their favor is they don't have a very challenging schedule so they should be i mean they should win out they will be yeah. favored in every game and yeah. yeah it'll be interesting to see i think yeah their next big test might be that first playoff game and it'll be a team like notre dame that will keep oklahoma or someone like that out of the playoff if they're undefeated because what can you what can you say <laughs> you know what can you do so yeah I, I will say that even though they have they'll be favored the rest of the way there's there's at least one game that's a real trip up game and then one kind of they may sneak up on them kind of game in a trap situation um i do think we have to understand that while usc probably isn't playing like usc right now or they haven't been the usc that we were expecting that team is still loaded with talent and, and by the time by the time that they get to that game, JT Daniels won't feel like a true freshman anymore, and he might actually be able to pass the ball on him. So I think that game is a, is a real threat. And I actually still think um, that Syracuse game, even though the only reason I'm not more on Syracuse is because that game is at Notre Dame, um, because that is sort of a look-ahead spot. So I think... Those last two games of the year, they'll be favored in both, but I don't think either one is worth um, completely overlooking because there is talent on both of those teams. That Syracuse game is actually at Yankee Stadium. Oh, is it? Yeah, and they're wearing their Yankee uniforms, their Yankee-Notre Dame mashups, which is a reason definitely to think they might trip up because, you know, that's terrible juju. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think that looking at it on paper, it looks pretty easy, but – you never know. It's it's difficult to, to run the table no matter who you are. And and like you said about USC, they are still talented. And, you know, by Thanksgiving, they might be rounding back into form. So it's just, you know, it's just I'm not necessarily saying that it's a sure thing that they run the table, but things are trending pretty positively for them right now. I'll just put it that way. Absolutely. Oh, and I, I, I fully agree. I didn't want to take that away. I think yeah. they're probably the favorite to be that fourth team right now sure in the playoff yeah and another team that's rounding into form nicely and you actually called it matt you didn't pick them but you did m- mention that mullen had really been shaping this team and moving them along and now it, that's florida with their upset win uh against lsu now they were at home they were a three and a half point underdog but they ended up winning the score's a little bit misleading with the pick six to end the game but this one took me by surprise. I thought LSU, I had just gotten done spending, you know, 15 minutes last week talking about how they were being overlooked and they were underrated and people need to give them some respect. They're not ranked fifth for nothing. And then they go out and lose. What did you what did you walk away with from the, from this game, Matt? Did you think LSU was just a play or two away or did you think that Florida was easily the better team on the field? I, I really do think I was surprised in the fact that I did think Florida looked like the better team. Um, and I, for me, it comes down to coaching, and I think Dan Mullen is just a better coach than Ed Ogeron. It it bothers me how bad that LSU team is on offense. Their defense is ridiculous, and I had no – I going into that game, I had no doubt that Florida was not going to be able to put up 30 on them. So I'm really disappointed in the way that LSU came out and looked – 
I still think that they're a good team. I still like Joe Burrow, but man, they just, they're so bad on offense consistently that they're going to have a tough time being a top 10 team, which is where they were ranked. And this Florida team, I mean, we knew, I mean, he did a lot at Mississippi state with not a huge amount of talent to start. So it's good to see Dan Mullen actually starting to get it, get it rolling. Felipe Frank still isn't a good quarterback though. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. And I think, I think them choosing to rely on the running game was a huge reason for this win. I mean, Florida ran the, ran the ball 43 times, had over 215 yards rushing, which I don't know if, I don't know if I saw that coming from this one. I thought LSU would be able to to stop that, but but they were able to move the ball, and I thought that was important that they didn't have to rely on Franks to try to win it for them. Now, Jordan, you you've not been a huge Joe Burrow fan. Do, do you feel like you saw a lot of his flaws kind of come to light in this game, and a lot of his deficiencies kind of be the reason why they couldn't overcome, or do you did you think it was a different reason for the loss? Well, I I think that first of all, it's a tough spot. I I do believe that Florida. When when they're when they're ranked and another ranked team comes into Ben Hill Griffin, I do think that the crowd makes a difference there. And and it's not necessarily that I think Joe Burrow is bad, but I I believe that kind of what Matt was saying that their offensive, I guess you want to call it philosophy. I I just don't believe really in their in their way of thinking about offense. I I just look around and I see what successful offenses are doing as far as you know vertical passing game, play action, not running on first down. And I just, when I, what I've seen of LSU this year, which hasn't been a ton granted, but I just don't see a willingness to try to do the smart thing to try and score. And I don't necessarily think that that makes Joe Burrow bad, but I think that the receiving core is really inexperienced, which they have been all season. And I think that's showing, I don't necessarily think he has a go-to guy. Justin Jefferson might be that guy, but you know, it, it helps to have like the alpha to go to when things get tough. You know, he didn't look good in this game, but I also think that Florida's defense is very good. And, you know, it, again, I think that these teams actually at the end of the day are pretty evenly matched, which seems common sense now. But considering LSU was ranked fifth, Florida was ranked 20th going in. I think that disparity was just too much. And I, I think that these two teams are pretty similar in a lot of ways, as far as defenses, dominant defenses, questionable passing games, questionable, you know, offensive philosophy, maybe. But yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily an indictment on Joe Burrow. I think he's kind of in a tough spot. And I think he has been in a tough spot this whole time, really. Yeah, that's, I think that's a fair assessment. I I was hoping that LSU was going to kind of take that next step. I was hoping they would kind of utilize the downfield passing game, try to get some of their receivers in space out but yeah it just didn't materialize now another another interesting game was nc state who's undefeated (laughs) beating boston college and they were able to cover the spread barely boston college tried to make it make a game out of it in the end but with i think a minute and a half left in the uh in the third quarter nc state was up like 28 to 3 it was never really the, the win was never really in jeopardy they put together a really nice game against Boston College. Their defense played really well, and they relied on Gillespie and Ryan Finley to carry, kind of carry the day for them, and they and they were able to. I thought it was a pretty all-around good game for NC State, considering they didn't have a ton of these huge explosive plays. 
I think the the longest passing play was 30, 30 yards. The longest run was 20 yards, yet they were able to just sustain drives and, and really move down the field. Uh, I think they only had to punt the ball once, uh, and they just put together a great offensive game. Matt, you, you had picked NC State to cover, so you, you kind of were on this uh, as opposed to myself. So you probably weren't too surprised by the outcome, huh? I mean, I won't even lie and say that I put a huge amount of thought into it. I uh, I went with a quarterback I think is good because I'm one of the few believers in Ryan Finley. And then I looked at Bill Conley's S&P Plus and it had them that game off by about four points. And about 30 seconds before uh, we started the pod last week, I saw the A.J. Dillon was a legit game time decision. So. Yeah. I wasn't overly surprised once I saw the Dylan news. Um, it was nice to see them put it together, though. And I, I really I am a fan of Ryan Finley. But the one thing that Stan is nice for me to see is seeing Kelvin Harmon have a big game because he's weirdly it, – it feels like he goes under – like completely overlooked because of where he plays. But Kelvin Harmon might be one of the best wide receivers in the country. Um, he's already put together 500 yards this year. He's 6'3". He's a legit NFL prospect. He should be a top, I would hope, a top two-round pick. They've got pieces on that team, and I, I'm excited to see them continue moving this way. Just to echo kind of what Matt was saying, I, I have Harmon ranked pretty highly. I think I have him as my wide receiver three, I think, in the 2019 class. So I'm right there with you. It's good to see him getting his opportunity. He's big and athletic, should run well at the Combine, so... Yeah, I, I agree. I think he's being underestimated a little bit. And kind of a similar thing we did with Notre Dame when we look at NC State's schedule. They obviously go to Clemson, not this week, but the following week, which will obviously be a very difficult test. But then following Clemson, they have Syracuse, Florida State, Wake Forest, Louisville, North Carolina, and East Carolina. So this is another team that, you know, is quietly 5-0, and quietly has – very few really difficult games left on their schedule. And uh, I don't know if what you guys think about them rest of season, but their schedule looks pretty nice just on paper right now. They're going to be a fun matchup against Clemson. I just now I'm seeing that that's their next game. Yeah. That game is, if we're looking for a game that Clemson might drop the rest of the season, that's a real, that's a real test. Mm -hmm. Two weeks from now. It's a, it's a good, it's a good rivalry game. Again, I mentioned last week I'm a bit of an NC State fan from my childhood days, so so it'd be it'd be fun to see it. it I could see them, you know, beating Clemson and then losing to like East Carolina or something like that <laughs> later <laughs> in the year just to mess with us. Now another team that's you know kind of quietly five and zero and not a not a whole lot of buzz, but maybe maybe there should be, and that's the 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 Buffaloes of Colorado, my alma mater. So uh, we both were on this one. We both picked Colorado, Matt. I think mainly because they were at home. I know I thought if it was at Arizona State, it would I would have gone the other way. But again, they, they look good. They looked a part of a, of a solid team. I'm not sure they'll be able to remain undefeated for a whole lot longer. But as of right now, it's been a, it's been a pretty fun ride. I think, I think their offense is really quite exciting. I think they've got a lot of really great pieces. I love Chenault. I think he's an excellent wide receiver. I'd be curious to hear where both of you see his his career at the next level. And then Steven Montez looks like a legitimate a legitimately good quarterback 
at least in college, and I'm not sure if you guys project him anywhere in the NFL, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on not only this game, but but some of these skill position players for, for CU um, at the next level as well. Chenault, I mean, I'll, I'll admit that I wasn't on him before this season, but it's impossible to ignore what he's done in, in, in so many ways too. You know, he, he's, he's 6'2", 220, I believe is what he's listed at. So he's big, he's athletic. He's been really productive as a receiver. He has four rushing touchdowns. And, and I mean, most of those were in tight near the goal line, but he's, you know, they trust him with the ball in his hands in just about every situation, which is really encouraging. I'm assuming, you know, he's a sophomore this year, but he's, he has to be talked about, you know, I, I haven't really seen anything this year that makes me think he can't be an NFL player and perhaps an impact NFL player. So, I mean, you know, again, I was late to the late to the party on him, but you know, it's, it's hard not to, not to like what we've seen so far. And, and as far as Montez, you know, again, I don't necessarily, I, I don't necessarily know how I project him to the NFL, but he again is a big body guy. I think he's 6'5", 230, 235. He's a redshirt junior, you know, 10.1 adjusted yards per attempt this season. He's completing 75% of his throws. He's been really efficient. So, you know, I guess we see how the rest of this plays out. I don't necessarily know if he would uh, declare after this season. He may, you know, I would, I would, I would think he'd stick another year. Yeah, yeah. He, he would probably choose to come back for his for his senior year. But, you know, we could be talking about him next season um, in the run-up to the 2019 draft, or 2020, excuse me. So, so he's definitely one to keep an eye on, is what I really like to see, and the size, which we know is important for uh, NFL evaluators. So, And I think that Montez is probably a fringe guy right now for me, but definitely one to keep an eye on. Yeah, one of the things I like about him is he he's a big guy. He can he can run the football. He's he's strong, but he also does like to take those shots down the field. He does like to stretch the defense, and he has a really nice long ball. and And he's put that on display. I think having the talented wide receiver helps a lot too. Matt, what what were your thoughts? Um, for Montez, I do think I'm kind of with Jordan on this one. I I do think he's going to stick around one more year. But if he does stick around another year, he could become kind of one of those interesting mid round quarterbacks. It. Over a 10.1 adjusted yards per attempt is legitimately um, incredible if he can maintain that for the course of the year. And if he puts together another season like this, I do think there's a chance that he'll be one of those like early day three selections. So he has the size that is impressive. But of the two of them, Chenault is absolutely the one I'm staring at. Um, he's basically 50% of their receiving offense. I haven't actually looked done the math on it but he's got 700 yards of their like 1500 passing yards so it's pretty crazy 10 total touchdowns because he has four rushing touchdowns because their offense is being creative with him which i love they just want to get him the ball right now in a 2020 class of wide receivers that i'm not super excited about he's probably the one guy that is standing out Great. I love it. Um, I thought Arizona State, just to give them, for all of our, you know, Sun Devil fans out there, um, I thought, again, they, they're a tough team. They play they play hard. I think Eno Benjamin is a solid running back. He, he shows up. He always seems to fall forward. Uh, but I think they just didn't quite, I mean, obviously they just didn't quite have enough to, to get over CU. It'll be interesting to see where they go from here. They're 
they've got a they've got a tough tough reality check. I mean, they're three and three. They've got yeah, not a lot to play for in the grand scheme of things. They're they're trailing they're trailing so many teams in in the Pac-12 now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what what um, Herm can do with them if he can keep them motivated and keep them playing playing good football. It's sort of crazy that Nikhil Harry leaves this game with only three receptions. I he shouldn't leave a game without like six. Right. And that kind of seems like a coaching error. They sh- if you're not going to throw the ball a ton, I get it. But still, he's he's another one of those guys. He's arguably one of the best wide receivers in the country. He needs to get the ball in his hands as much as you possibly can. Yeah, I totally agree. And I just wanted to let everyone know those were our picks. We we did we did pretty well this week. We did better than most weeks. Like we always say, it's. It's not just who you're betting on, but it's also important who you're betting with. That's why we always tell people to use my bookie to make their bets. You guys have to trust me on this. They're the best bet this season. They've been the, they've been in the business for years. They have great reviews online, and their mobile site is super easy to use. Now, we would only recommend a service to our listeners that's been good to us, and that's why we recommend my bookie. You win, they pay. It's that simple. They have in-game live betting, over/unders on fantasy points scored and the most rewarding player perks in the business. Join now at MyBookie, and they will match your deposit dollar for dollar if you use their promo code ROTOVIZ to activate the offer. So visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code ROTOVIZ when creating your account to claim up to 1000 in free play. So again, you play, you win, you get paid with MyBookie. Let's talk just a couple minutes about some of the other games that uh, stood out to us. One of those was Northwestern upsetting Michigan State. Michigan State has a pretty tough schedule coming up, and they're coming off this loss in Northwestern. What outlook do you guys see for the Spartans going forward? Bunch more losses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> keep, it, keep it short and sweet and simple, yeah. I, I was out on this team. Like I get, I understand why people were high on them. That because they were a team bringing back a lot of starters. They had a quarterback that a lot of people liked. That road loss to Arizona State is stupid. They should never lose that game. The fact that they were close-ish with Central Michigan, who's one of the worst teams in the country, is really, really bad. And then outright losing on their home field to Northwestern is a bad loss. They're going to lose their next two games, I think, pretty handily. And then when they get to Ohio State, they're almost assuredly going to lose that game unless something crazy happens. I don't see them losing any more than that. And but I mean, that's this is not a contending team in the Big Ten East. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of agree. I think that. Yeah, I, I, I see why, like Matt said, there there are reasons why people were high on them. And I think some of them were valid. I think a lot of people were high on Brian Lewerke, who. I am kind of, you know, undecided on, I guess, but, and they were bringing back a lot of starters from last season where they, where they performed pretty well. So, I mean, the, the recipe, I guess, was there, the ingredients, but this is a game that they probably should not have lost. And, and when Jeremy Larkin went out for Northwestern uh, a few weeks back with a uh, career ending, uh, found out that he had a spinal stenosis, I believe, um, up to that point, he was basically Northwestern's entire offense. And when when he went out, uh, I was really concerned about Northwestern being able to move the ball, being able to score. So for them to, you know, go to East Lansing, put up 29. I see Clayton Thorson 
attempted 47 passes through for almost 375 yards. He, you know, he's pretty hit or miss. So, you know, that was a good showing for him, but it's a bit of an indictment on this Michigan state defense. And, and I think that was the side of the ball that we thought we could depend on uh, heading into the season. You know, most people who were backing Michigan state. So, and, and like Matt said, they have a, they have a really difficult schedule coming up. So, you know, things they're staring down the barrel right now. So we'll see, we'll see how they respond. Yeah, I think right now the only bright spot on that team is Felton Davis. He continues to impress me, not only with the beautiful hair, but, I mean, he, he seems to be able to do it all. I mean, he had, a I think, he had a 48-yard rushing touchdown in this game. He had another good performance. To me, he's, he's something that Spartan fans can hang their hat on for now. Um, I do wonder if this L.J. Scott injury um, has kind of dampened the, the outlook for this team. Not that I know we talked about it, I think, in the second week of the season, that none of us were, were huge fans. But I do wonder if just that hit has kind of had an effect on the team in general. Uh, now, a team that doesn't seem to be slowing down at all, especially in the running game, is Clemson with their 63-3 smashing of Wake Forest. And, and it just seemed like they could do no wrong. I think they had like 477 yards of rushing offense. They looked unbelievable. And I thought it was interesting because this was the first game where we got to see Trevor Lawrence um, kind of unleashed. He didn't have, like his first game as a starter after the Kelly news, he he got injured so early that we didn't really know what was going to happen there. So this was his first real full game and, and Clemson just looked unbelievable. And I know it's Wake Forest, so we're not up against a juggernaut, but but the, the Deacons hadn't been terrible this year. So yeah, I thought it was a, a really telling performance for them. Yeah, I, I wrote up uh, Greg Dorch for my article last week, not necessarily as, you know, pumping him up to have a good game against Clemson, but just think that he's kind of an interesting prospect. And uh, I went back through his game logs, and this was the first time in his career, 14 games including last week, that he was held below 50 receiving yards in a game. So he's been pretty consistent and productive uh, for the beginning of his career, and he was completely kept in check. So, yeah, my notes on this, it was just domination. When you have when you have three running backs run for over 125 yards apiece, each on 10 carries a pop, I mean, that's just unreal. Like, does not look, does not look correct. So I, I don't really know how much we can take away from this. Um, you know, Wake's defense is bad. Again, I, I do get what you're saying about Lawrence. I think that having him come back in this game after that injury was probably a blessing in disguise because – he was never really going to be asked to do too much, I don't think, in this game. So, you know, hopefully he gets back in the swing of things, is is right medically, you know, health-wise, and can keep moving forward. Because when Clemson is clicking like this, they're as good as everyone but Alabama. Maybe maybe as good as Alabama. So Yeah, I, I, I hope for all of our sake that he, he remains healthy because it'll be fun to see what Clemson can do with him at quarterback um, throughout the year, and especially as we inch close towards that playoff. Uh, let's look Let's look ahead to next week, and we have a few few really interesting games. One of the reasons we don't get 100% of our picks, I mean, there's a lot of reasons because college football is crazy, but one of the reasons why it's tough is we don't just go out there and pick the games we think. We pick on the games that we find most interesting, and so a lot of them are really tough decisions. Of the ones that we're looking at, there's only one that I feel super, super confident on, and, and I'm curious if you guys will agree with me. But West Virginia is going to Iowa State, six-point favorites on the road. And to me, I'm sticking with 
my boy Greer and West Virginia, and I think I know it hasn't been easy for teams, but I think he'll be able to light them up. What do you What do you think, Matt? Typically, I would lean uh, in a game like this to pick Iowa State at home because I think they'd make it ugly. Oh, I love making I, it ugly. They They are very good at making games ugly, but I really. At this point, I don't want to take my chances against that offense. So I'm going to go Will Greer, which is pretty much how I see that team. The fighting Will Greers. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Jordan? Yeah. yeah, this one makes me a little bit nervous just because Iowa State has seems to have that intangible scrappiness about them. You know, they obviously went on the road and beat Oklahoma State last week, which was a big win. And they... They hung with Oklahoma earlier in the season at home, kind of in a similar-ish spot. But being under a touchdown, we have this number at six, correct? That's right. I think I'll lay the six with West Virginia. I I think Greer probably has a bounce-back game. But this one makes me a little bit uneasy just because I think kind of what Matt said, Iowa State has a tendency to make things ugly. Um, But I'll I'll, I'll lean West Virginia here. Yeah, and I do think it will be ugly. But again, it's... It's not like it's a 13-point spread. It's just a touchdown, and I, sure. I think, I think the fighting Will Greers will be able to uh, to make it work to make it happen. Uh, one that I'm really, really unsure of is Colorado at USC. Now, everything I've read so far today, all the experts that I that I look to for advice seem to be suggesting to me to take USC here. No one thinks that CU is for real. They they keep using silly statistics like the opponent's win-loss record is 5-22, and 22, which actually is not silly at all. That's pretty telling that CU hasn't had to play anyone tough uh, yet, although I think the Nebraska team they played in the beginning of the year was better than the one out there now. They have not fared well against USC, and it's going to be difficult. I think USC is a perfect 17-0 straight up when playing as a home favorite under Clay Helton. That, it's tough to, to, tough to argue with those numbers. So... Everyone's telling me to pick Colorado. I mean, everyone's telling me to pick against Colorado. Everyone's saying USC's got this, um, but I don't believe them. And this could be just the fact that uh, it's my school, but I'm going to stick with Colorado on this one. I think Montez gets it done. This one's tough as well because I feel like it's, I kind of feel like a square going with Colorado here, sort of just riding the wave. But I don't necessarily know if I believe in USC. I think their defense is is decent. One thing that I've, you know, Stephen Carr kind of not really showing up yet has kind of been a surprise for me. Um, in Southern California, this one's really tough. Like you said, this is a tough one. But ugh, getting six and a half, I'll take the underdog. I'll go with Colorado here. But again, I don't really feel super confident. Don't have a great read on it. All right, Matt, is it a sweep or are you, or are you picking USC? I was really all prepared to go with Colorado here. Um, <laughs> you want to be the contrarian. And you guys are sort of talking me out of it because you're being, you know what? I'm I'm gonna go against my uh, numbers and I'm just gonna go with uh, USC because I like their talent more. Okay, we just got done talking about Montez and Chanel and saying how how talented they are. Do you want me to get list off the players on USC that I think are better than them? <laughs> not not that are better prospects, but better. On Saturday, like this, in 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 five days Amon from Ross now. Amon Ross St. Brown. I think Amon Ross St. Brown is a really, really, really ridiculous wide receiver um, as well. So, while I do think that Chenault is awesome, and I think they're going to score some points, I think USC's defense being good enough to get a few stops. I'm not sure Colorado is going to be able to get enough stops in this game. Yeah, 
Oh, that's fair. I like it. I also, like it. I like USC at home. Yeah, and that's and that's and that's a good point as well. I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be a good game. I'm super curious to see what happens. I don't know if I pick Colorado to to flat out win the game, but I could see it being within a field goal. Uh, we've got Wisconsin at Michigan. Michigan is favored by seven. Matt, why didn't you lead off here? Who do you oh, think? Thanks. <laughs> Just pass. <laughs> Hard pass. This is, I mean, this one's tough for me because, well, I, I think Michigan's a better team. I think that they are absolutely the more talented 80-something man roster. The problem I have is I don't think Shane, Shane Patterson is the right quarterback for this team. And it's so hard for me to go with a team that I just think is not playing a quarterback that is good for them. And in this case, I, my problem is that I see this Wisconsin team is a live dog. I don't th- think that they're just going to lose the game. So I'm going to take Wisconsin here if only because I think they're a live dog and I think seven points is a lot. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and I hear what you're saying about Patterson. I'm also kind of, you know, on the fence about whether he is the right fit there. Looking at real quickly, glancing at pregame.com, which shows the money percentages coming in on the game. 94% of the dollars are on Wisconsin right now. The line open, they have the line open at seven and it's moved to seven and a half. Gross. So, <laughs> so that's a bit of a bit of an indication that, um, the you know the larger bets are probably coming in on Michigan, and that was sort of my lean to begin with. Um, I, I don't necessarily think this number is way off of what it should be. I think it's probably pretty close, but I'll lay the seven with Michigan at home. But you know it feels the number feels about right to be honest. I will say that was partially a I can't pick Michigan type of pick. Yeah, yeah that's fair too. Of course, that's understood. Yeah, I'm going with Wisconsin. I am choosing to believe in the narrative that I told myself at the beginning of the year. It will probably be to my detriment, but I'd love to see, and I think we will see them get back to to being able to to run the football effectively. They're playing against Nebraska, so it wasn't the toughest opponent. But, I mean, Jonathan Taylor was able to put up 220 yards and three touchdowns. He looked really good. The offensive line is clicking. I think they'll be able to do enough on offense to keep up with Michigan. I think it will be a fairly low-scoring game. Um, I don't know what the over-under is yet. Um, last time I checked, it hadn't been set. I'll be looking at that pretty closely on game day, and I'll be uh, wanting to probably take the under no matter what number they give us. Um, but I think it will be close. I'm going with Wisconsin for this one. Um, another really exciting game, um, LSU, our home dogs against Georgia at a seven-point spread. You guys think LSU will be able to to perform as an underdog at home, or do you think Georgia's going to put a smack on him and, and, and take the W pretty easily? Yeah, I'll go start. ahead, Matt. Yeah. I, I actually want to take a second because I'm going to change my mind on the Wisconsin-Michigan game. And I don't know why I'm doing this, <laughs> but I just I quickly pulled up some numbers, saw that in their last three games, Michigan has only allowed 71 yards rushing per game. And I am i don't like horny brick enough. I'm Everything I said goes out the window. <laughs> I like it. Give me Michigan. Sorry. Now, on to the game we were talking about. Uh, LSU-Georgia. Yes. You know what I really love? I love uh, home dogs on an awesome field. Taking LSU because that's one of the scariest environments in the history of college football. 
Short and sweet. I like it. Easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, easy. It's it's just that easy, folks. Um, I actually, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's risky, I feel like, going against LSU at home, getting points, especially a touchdown. But I'm going to go with Georgia here. Um, I really like Jake Fromm. I, I think that he's played really well this season, and I think that he's kind of been overshadowed by a couple other guys. But I think he's been pretty solid. I think Georgia's defense is good, and I still have questions about LSU's offense. I, I don't think that changes. I don't necessarily think that Georgia is the type of dominant defense to completely take you out of a game, but I think that they have athletes. And I, you know, until LSU can really show me that they're making strides to be more explosive on offense, um, I, I'm kind of hesitant. So I, I'll lay the seven. Uh, although I will admit it's a risky spot. Yeah, and I'm going to do the same. I think uh, the game plan against Vanderbilt was kind of in preparation for this LSU game. I know that might be a strange thing to think. What they were wanting to do is is get from moving around and passing the ball, get him in, get him feeling comfortable in a nice rhythm, so that they can have a very a varied attack against LSU for this upcoming week. I thought he he played really well, and I'm excited for this game. Um, I do think Georgia is able to to come out of there not only with the win, but I think they end up winning by by ten points or so. So yeah, so give me Georgia in that one. Don't always feel great about these picks, but what do you do? <laughs> I mean, you gotta pick someone, and uh, yeah, I don't know if LSU's offense will be able to to keep up with Georgia. Let's uh, let's go over to you, Jordan. You got your your Nittany Lions at home against Michigan State. Fourteen points. That's a lot. You uh, you still going to stick with Penn State, or do you think the the, the line's too far? Well, I think it's an interesting line because um, you know recency bias will tell us that Michigan State is down. Uh, obviously, Penn State lost their last game to Ohio State, but they had a bye week in between. You know, depending on who you asked, you know that game was pretty even all all the way through and Ohio State is clearly one of the best teams in the country on paper I think these teams might even be further apart than 14 points but conference game these two teams generally you know it's difficult but I think off the bye week with that tough loss preceding it coming back home against a team that just got beat upset at home going on the road it doesn't look great. It's not a good spot for Michigan State, I don't think. So I'll lay the 14, and that's not even necessarily a homer-type pick. I, I think that this is kind of a tough spot for Michigan State, but, you know. I hate this number. So, <laughs> honestly, I think at 13, I like Penn State, but at 14, I'm scared. Um, God, this is a tough number because I think I think the thing that needs to be taken into account sometimes with these players is, I mean, a lot of them are still – 18 19 20 year olds like there's a lot of i'm gonna throw air quotes around this children on this field like they're not really equipped to handle what they just went through in that last game and i think there is a real chance that penn state comes out flat here they're just so much better than michigan state if they can play anything like they did against ohio state they will run up the score on them and if james franklin knows when to just let trace mcsorley make plays I wish this was a night game, but I'm still I'm with Jordan. I'll lay the points. I hate this number. I would not make this play with my own money. But uh, yeah, Penn State. All right. So for me, I also don't like the 14, but the 56 over under 
Uh, give me the over on this one. I think both teams are going to be scoring a lot of points. I think Penn State will score more, obviously. Uh, I think Michigan State's going to be able to move the ball through the air uh, with Lewerke, but I don't think it's going to be enough. I think Penn State gets up to a pretty big lead, and then Michigan State, when it's all said and done, ends up making it look a little bit closer on paper than it was in actuality. Um, with a couple garbage time scores at the end of the game to, to get you that over uh, number. So give me the over, but I know that's not what we're picking. We're picking against the spread. And uh, and I think Michigan State, again, uh, I think they, they'll be able to keep it close at the end of the game with a couple garbage time. I think they're going to end up losing by 12 or 13 points, but not that 14. So I'm going to take Michigan State on the road, and that means I'm taking all road teams so far this week. But that will change with our last game, Washington at Oregon. Give me those ducks because I will never pick against this team again. They're at home against Washington. It's it's three and a half points. I know. I think that they. I actually would pick Oregon to win straight up in this game. So the fact that you're giving me three and a half points at Autzen, Oregon is the better team. I think they have better talent at every position on offense except running back. Um, and, and that is only because Gaskin's been doing it for years and Oregon's running backs are freshmen, but they look talented. They look fast. They look explosive. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the Ducks. I don't always, I usually pick against them. So this is not just a homer pick because usually I try to avoid that. But I really feel confident uh, that they'll be able to, to protect their home field, which, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough, tough environment for teams to come into Washington has been good, but not great. I mean, they struggled a bit against UCLA. Um, yeah, I think Oregon's going to be able to do what they want to do. I think Herbert's going to have another really excellent day. Look for Dylan Mitchell to get double-digit receptions again um, and, and 150 yards and, t- and a touchdown or two, or at least setting them up with really short yardage. A lot of times he, he tends to go down around the three-yard line. So give me Oregon. They'll end up winning it by by uh, by a field goal. I'm sort of torn on this game right now. I think typically I would like to take the points in a game like this when I do think there's a chance that it's pretty even. I really, in this spot, think that Washington's just a better team, and I still think they have in their head, they still have playoff aspirations if they can run through the rest of their schedule. I don't feel great about it. I'm going to take a team that I think has a better defense here, and I'm just going to roll with Oregon. If I were going to make a play I feel better about, I think I would just take the under, which I'm seeing at 56 and a half. But because we can't change the game, I'm just going to, I'll take, give me, give me Washington. I'll give the points. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I do think that Washington has the better uh, defense. But I just haven't really seen a ton on the offensive side of the ball from them. Oregon, you know, they're kind of the inverse. I, I, I and it may seem com, you know, common sense, but I, I believe in Washington's defense, but I also believe in Oregon's offense uh, com, uh, compared to the two. Um, at home, getting points. Uh, is this what time does this game kick? Is this a night game? Does anyone know off the top of their head? No matter what time it is, it's going to be a night game for you. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah, That's it's always a night game, I guess, on the East Coast. Uh, it's 3.30. It says 3.30, yeah. Yeah, 3.30. Um, ugh, this is another ugly line. Um, I'm going to take Washington. I'm sorry to leave you out on an island there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they are the better team. Um, this line opened at 5.5, down to 3.5. 
So I'll lay the three and a half, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Oregon win this outright. But I, I agree with Matt. I think I'm just going to take the what I think is the better roster from top to bottom um, in this spot. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting game because you are pairing a really great offense against a really fantastic defense, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I think if Washington can can slow down the Ducks. Then yeah, it'll be interesting to see Miles Gaskins just work that defense and slowly but surely see what he can do. But I, I think I really I really believe in in Justin Herbert. I believe yeah that they're going to be able to come out of here with a W, and it'll make things so interesting in the Pac-12 uh, going down going down the stretch because with Stanford losing, and then Washington will have a loss and Oregon has their loss. It'll be it'll be a fun ride to see who who ends up on top. So I, I'm, I, I think if nothing else, even if I wasn't an Oregon Ducks fan, I'd be rooting for Oregon just so that we could see that play out. I think it'd be I think it'll be a lot of fun. Do you guys have any uh, any plans for the upcoming weekend? This is my first weekend without having to go to a wedding in <laughs> yeah. several weeks. So I'm, I'm hoping I actually get to just sit down and watch all the football. So I'm going to watch all the football. I'll be um, I'm actually going to be heading out your way from Wednesday till Sunday on vacation uh, doing some hiking out in Rocky Mountain National Park and uh, other parts, other parts around Colorado. So I'm I'm pretty pretty excited for a short work week and uh, a little bit of time off the grid. Yeah, don't forget to pack your long underwear. Uh, it's going to yeah. be cold and snowy, so oh, it'll, yeah, it'll, it'll be it'll be beautiful. But it, it's going to be it's going to be chilly. Uh, it'll be great though. I actually will be watching uh, most of these games from the airport. I'm heading off to uh, West Africa for a week. Uh, which will be a lot of fun, and yeah, so I'll be I'll be at the at the bar screaming at the television and spilling beer all over the place when Herbert throws his fifth touchdown pass. Um, <laughs> but it's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, just want to remind all of you guys to go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that you get all of our uh, latest podcasts as soon as they're out. Uh, please do rate the show as well. We need to get those ratings um, in there so that we we get seen and heard throughout the iTunes and all the other podcasting apps. And then of course, follow us all on Twitter. You can find me at stay fun. Laco. Jordan and Matt, can you guys tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter? And then also some of the other stuff you guys are up to. Yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter at J Hoover nine, seven, eight, seven, and still doing the weekly when the Debbie breaks article at Rotoviz. And I'm at wispy, the kid on Twitter, and you can find my uh, college articles on uh, Roto Baller, and you should definitely check in this week because I'm writing about my absolute favorite 2019 eligible receiver, so it'll probably be like a 3,000-word love for letter. <laughs> I love it. Great. Thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate it. You guys have a great week, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much. can't believe you guys are both picking Washington. <laughs>
It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2. Excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.